Hello and welcome to the Latest Science Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Solomon, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Fergus Connolly. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. The technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market. And they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out their easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. So Fergus Connolly, welcome to the Science Support Podcast. It's fantastic to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> the pleasure <laughs> is all mine, I assure you. Um, listen, can you give us a quick 20 to 30 second introduction as to who you are, what you've been doing and uh, what you're up to now? I'm a coach that has been fortunate to work uh, with professional sports and soccer, rugby, NFL, college, uh, work in special forces and with um, high performers in corporate space. I've written a few books, tried to put some ideas out there and um, and mostly in team sport. So uh, that's where, where my experience has, has been, Matthew. Fantastic. And that's uh, a little bit where we're going to focus on today. And uh, having read your book, um, or maybe a year or two ago now, which you generously uh, donated to the course for a review. Um, one thing that really stuck with me at the time was your holistic perspective on things. So that's why I wanted to throw some questions your way um, about today. Uh, specifically, can we start with why it's important to look at a program from a holistic perspective? So, like, so I'm 43 now, Matthew. When, when I started playing sport myself, like 17, 18, I tried to get better, so I would read everything on speed, on strength, and I was going to the source, like, I mean, trying to find sprint coaches, strength coaches, but I couldn't find one book that covered all of team sport, and so, you know, when I was trying to get better, I couldn't find it, then when I started working in soccer and in rugby, there wasn't one book out there that took the best principles from all of these different sports, so over time, I I like a collection of black notebooks and I would write down these different principles so that, you know, I started to generate my own ideas. And then working with, you know, elite professional players, you re- start to recognize then that it's not just about the physical elements. There's also the tactical component. Then there's the skill. But then even beyond that, then you realize that the personal life has such an impact on how long someone can stay at the professional level and how long their career can be. And that's why, that's why I wrote the book because, and I, you know, I didn't intend actually to write a book for, for others. I, I was putting this big plan or philosophy together for myself, really. That's where it started. And as I started to put it together, I thought, you know, let, let's put this out there for others. Um, I know it's not going to be perfect because I'm not the perfect coach. I don't have all the experience, but let's try and put this out there for people to see everything in one book and people can build on it and take it from there. And that's, that's really why I wrote it was so that as a, like a stepping stone for team sport coaches. 
And I think it's uh, it's provided some excellent insights as well, right? Like when when I was going through it, it certainly triggered a few things in my mind, especially when you you work uh, in the gym or on the field, and maybe you work closely with a head coach. You don't necessarily see their their personal life. You don't see that they're playing uh, FIFA five hours in the evening and they're on loan at a club uh, with no mates, and they 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 just sit there texting their friends, and that's stressful because. Uh, yeah, they, they want to go out and, um, yeah, play football with their mates in the park or whatever, and they can't. Um, and all of a sudden that, that impacts their performance, uh, both in the gym, on the field, and eventually, yeah, that impacts the team. So that's, that's really tricky. But how do we as coaches start to bridge that gap? So how do we structure our training methods or structure our staffs, for example, in order to ensure that we, we do have an holistic approach to things? So. There are two things. One is when you're working in team sport, you've got coaches who want to teach, you know, tactics and skill. And that obviously has a physical cost. So if you're just in the strength and conditioning sphere and you don't take account of, you know, the amount of running that the coach is going to do maybe in small sided games or whatever, or you don't take account of the amount of uh, concentration needed in that they're going to do with the skills coach or whatever. Or even from a psychological perspective, like maybe you're pushing someone a little bit hard, but the psychologist is working on someone's, you know, confidence. It, unless you've got a cohesive program, now we're all draining out of that player. You know, we're all taking, taking away from them. So that was, that's the first thing that, that we have to look at. And the closer that you can work with your coaches and understand what they're doing and they understand what you're doing. Now we're all working in the same direction with the player and we can improve the individuals or the team with a single cohesive message. And that's, that's really important. Like, I mean, when, when I worked with the Welsh rugby team, when I worked even in soccer with Bolton Wanderers, like we had, we spent so much time concentrating on fitness and strength and conditioning, but we still couldn't get over the line against really good teams like Manchester United or the All Blacks. And that was where I started to realize, you know, this understanding more about what the coaches are doing tactically can really, really help us. And so I started to try and measure our uh, physical data, like our running, in context. So in other words, if we're in a defensive moment, if we're trying to defend, how much running is too much? And sometimes in strength and conditioning, we have this philosophy that the more you do, the better you're going to be. But when you really look at good teams, it's not about more, it's about the optimal. doesn't mean that you run less, doesn't mean that strength's not important, doesn't mean that speed's not important. It's knowing when to do it. And very often, when I would look at the statistics or the analysis, the GPS, the heart rate, HRV, brainwave data, the players with the highest scores or who did the most work actually played poorest because they were concentrating on effort, not on quality. And that's the focus. It's about winning games and it's about quality, not about quantity. I think that's a, a very clear and a very important message. Um, and how do we as coaches start to ensure that quality stays high? Have you got some, some tips and tricks to make sure that we can have the things which are under our control um, optimized so that the athlete can perform with the highest quality possible? Yeah, so the most important thing is to start with the coach and ask the coach and find out either with or from the coach what are the key performance indicators? Like, what are the things that he's looking at that would that tell him or that indicate to him that the player is playing well? 
It might be number of tackles. It might be, it could be distance run or it could be number of sprints, but generally it's not. It's to do with the number of actions or events or interceptions or breaks. And then knowing that number, then you optimize the player. You prepare the player, not for, you know, the distance they're going to run. You prepare the player for that key performance indicator because now the player knows that's what the head coach is looking for. You know that's what the head coach is looking for. The head coach knows that that key performance indicator is going to determine whether or not you've got a good probability of winning the game. So now you're optimizing towards key performance indicators, not just physical metrics. So very often you see these, um, you know, you, you see studies that say, oh, well, you know, the average distance run or the most distance run in the game is X kilometers or X uh, miles. So that's what we got to prepare for. No, you got to prepare for a key performance indicator, a, an actual intervention in the game. And that's what the focus needs to be on. This podcast is also brought to you by Flex. Flex is the latest product to enter the velocity-based training market developed by the team at Gymware. Flex is the only laser-based training system available, and it's this unique technology that makes Flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub-500 US dollar category. It's wireless, portable, and it's super user-friendly. Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com. I think that's an excellent message, and I think it, it fits really nicely into... Uh, a lot of the conversations that we've had recently on the podcast over quality instead of quantity in various different scenarios, whether that be uh, in the gym with cluster sets or whether that be in your conditioning with uh, high intensity interval training. But it's interesting to see that you've taken that a step further and you've actually said, well, no, it's it's not about the physical stuff, although the physical stuff is important. Um, it's about can you actually perform? Are you good at football, for example? I mean, it's pretty useful if you want to be a football player, so it makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah, and it's, it's about finding balance. And it's not that, again, it's not saying that strength and conditioning is not important. The key word here is optimize. Because if you try and maximize every physical quality, the, the, the odds are the player will compromise perhaps in, you know, his tactical, in other, in other words, in his learning, his positioning, or will compromise on his uh, skill level. Now, yes, you'll have a very, very fit player, a very fit athlete, but you won't have a very fit player. And, that, and you know, language is particularly important. Um, one of the things that, and this, is, this might sound like a small thing, but even making sure that you use the word player as opposed to athlete in everything that you say and do, it just helps underline and remind people we're training in team sport. And again, that's my, only my experiences in team sport, so that we're training a player, not just purely an athlete. I think that's uh, certainly one that I can take home because I use the word athlete all the time. <laughs> so uh, for better yeah, or worse, and, and, and many, I definitely do. Yeah, many of look, many you know, many coaches. I didn't, but many coaches do start like you know with Olympic sports, and it's understandable. But when you when you're working in team sport, it it's just a reminder that the technical and tactical component is very very important. And you know, it's funny because you know I had. Um, you know, I was fortunate to be around all blacks who maybe, you know, retired and then came to club teams. And when you would measure them physically in the gym, some of them under, you know, didn't perform in the weight room as well as some of the other players who had been training in the weight room. But yet you put them on the field and they played the game so much better. 
they were more efficient in terms of knowing when to move. In other words, they had optimized their ability to play the game. It's not that they, you know, were not fit enough to play the game. They, like, I mean, I'll never forget, uh, Lord Rest of Jerry Collins, you know, coming in, in the weight room. He was certainly not the strongest, but on the field, he hit hardest, ran fastest, timed his run. So as, as a player, he was the complete package. And that was a real eye opener for, um, for me. And it was those small moments of being around great players, like truly great players, and you realize, you know what? It's just not all about physical qualities. Physical is important. There is a there is a limit, but it's about the complete package as a player. And who do you think is then responsible for for implementing that kind of holistic viewpoint? Because if I if I compare, for example, a small staff to a big staff at this point. Um, then it becomes quite difficult because there's more lines of communication. Although you have more specialists, which could be good, they might lose oversight of that holistic viewpoint. So could you give us an insight as to how a small staff compared to a big staff might compare in this situation? Yes, you see, that, that's, a, that's a great point that so many people miss. They think that you know a bigger staff and a bigger organization is better. Ironically, for this, and for this approach, a smaller staff is so much better because there are fewer people to communicate. Like you can get a, you can get everybody in a room. Like you I mean when I first worked in the NFL, I remember we had seven buses going to the airport. Like you I mean two of the buses were just staff alone, so you can't get everybody in the room. But with smaller staffs, you can get you know the head coach, position coaches, strength and conditioning, medical, and maybe the psychologist in a room, and you can run through each player quickly, and you create that understanding of what each individual needs. And it becomes, and one of the things that we, again, as, as people, we, we all have ego and we all want to do the best job possible, but it has to be the best job possible for the team. So it's not about, you know, uh, having the strongest players. It's about having the best team overall. And so that's where having sometimes a small staff or having um, very clear lines of communication and having a lot of communication, if you have a bigger staff, that becomes critical. And the other thing then is having systems and processes that keep very, that have great clarity around what the objectives are towards that goal. And the last point is having priorities for the player. Um, I'm a huge believer in only ever having three things for a player to concentrate on and work on at any one time. And I'm talking totally like it might be. Um, maybe two physical and one skill, or it might be might be no physical. If you've got somebody who's a physically an outstanding athlete or an outstanding player, there might be one psychological. In other words, you know, re- remembering to concentrate through the whole game, and there might be two skill things because very often we've got players who are athletically outstanding, and really their own only limiting factor is learning positioning and, you know, learning a play or learning how to defend a corner or whatever it might be. So that's where spending as much time as possible as a staff to establish a system, that's more important than your actual, uh, than the hands-on time. Like the the quote that I use very frequently with staff is a George Washington one. Uh, If I had seven hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend five sharpening my axe. So in other words, the backroom team need to spend a, a more time thinking through, clarifying, and deciding how they're going to affect players and athletes than actually just rushing to get their hands on the players. 
And that's a, a really interesting perspective as well. In the teams that you've worked with, how many hours do you think on average, or uh, maybe just different examples, uh, how many hours do you think the staff are spending with each other planning this type of intervention or planning interventions that they will implement on the pitch or in a gym, wherever it might be, um, in order to make sure that it all fits together nicely? Is, is it something you see that's done very well in some places, or is it something where uh, a lot of coaches can make uh, big steps? I think it's one of the areas that the, that the greatest improvement can be made because you know, I, and I just use a, this is just a guess, but it, it might be one to 10. In other words, for every one hour they spend together, they spend 10 hours with, with players. When you would rather see more time spent as a staff, you know, deciding how they're going to create the correct environment for the players. And so that the interventions are very specific. And then you step away and allow the player time to breathe because what we've got in professional sport or in sport in general now is, you know, it's it's very, very time intensive. We spend a lot of time around players and that can be demanding on the player as well as the staff. They don't get a lot of downtime. So that's one area that we uh, that because of the nature of sport, like you said, we have bigger staffs, so we have more time. Uh, there's not a lot of downtime for players or staff or that staff get to spend time together. And one last point on that. Um, if you ask uh, strength and conditioning staff how long uh, or how many minutes a week they spend watching the game, like sitting down and reviewing the game post-game or even during the game, you would be shocked at how little time is actually spent because during the game, sometimes you're doing warm-ups. You don't get to see the whole game. The following day, you're doing recovery. Well, the second day, you're back training. And you don't actually get the chance to sit down and observe truly what happened. And that's something that is common across every single sport. And so spending time and making time to sit down with the coach, maybe as he reviews it or after he's reviewed it, to get his feedback and understanding, sometimes that can be the most valuable time as opposed to just jumping straight back into training the players I mean that's an excellent point as well and it's uh, it's difficult to know who needs to be responsible for that whether the head coach needs to say okay strength and conditioning coach you're going to come and sit next to me and we're going to we're going to just throw down two or three hours of film and see what happens or whether the SNC coach needs to say hey do you mind if I come and uh, sit with you on uh, Sunday morning and uh, go for all the, the clips but it, I, think you need, I think you need to yeah you need to you need to make that effort you know you need to make that effort to bridge into because you know sometimes like I've been in situations where um and, and I I did this with coaches like I would go to the position coaches and say and go through each single player with three columns and say look coach give me the three things based on the last two games that this player needs to work on that we just put down three words for each single, every single player and prioritize them one, two, and three. And then when he would do that, I would go and sit down with him and say, okay, uh, what do you mean by like pop? And what the coach meant as he described it was uh, first step, which I would translate then into starting speed, which then you relate back to the strength coach is max strength, just getting that first step. And that's the process that you have to go through. And actually what the coach did with me was he would show me, he, he called over the his assistant and say, hey, pull up the film pull up the film on Josh. I just want to go through it and show, show, show Fergus what I mean by pop. And he would show me and I would go, ah, okay, now I understand. So now I understand. What the, if I were to watch the game, I might see something completely different. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I want. It matters what the coach and the position coach wants. And that's how you have to do it. 
That's uh, an absolutely fantastic message. And just before we uh, wrap up, I want to ask you one quick question about uh, efficiency of communication. So what you've discussed today is some great insights into how we can work as a team. Um, if we're going to work better as a team, how do we make our communication as efficient as possible? Because from the scenarios which you described, I would be worried that there's some people who would let their ego get in the way and they just want to talk about their own things. So the strength folks want to talk about strength. The physio wants to talk about rehab. And actually, we need to talk about making these players better. Have you got any tips for us for that one? Well, for example, in that scenario where I went through every single player, I took a large whiteboard, two whiteboards actually, and put them outside the locker room. There were four columns. One was, sorry, five columns. One was you had the player's name. You had the body weight that we wanted to keep the player at then what his current body weight was. And the next three columns were the priorities that the coach had had determined for that player. So it's out in the open for everybody to see, coach, player, staff. So there's no ambiguity. Um, there's nobody hiding anything. It's all transparent. We're open. We're a team. Um, you know, if somebody's a little bit, for example, overweight, well, it's on the board. So we are all going to support each other to get there. We're not whispering. We're not trying to embarrass anybody. Um, you know, some player and players know that, well, my endurance, I need to work on that. So if we have optional training sessions, I'm going to work on, and we, we, they're not called weaknesses, they're opportunities. So we would have opportunity sessions that, they, that players would come and they took a lot of pride in trying to improve those opportunities and get them off the whiteboard. So the, the most important thing is transparency because you, you know, and, and one last point on that is, no information is proprietary. It's all open and it's all shared. You share all information. I would send reports around to everybody. Sometimes you might think it's excessive, but there was no such thing as anything being hidden. All the information is out there for everybody to share. Absolutely fantastic. I think that's, an, that's a really interesting insight into how you work and how uh, the top teams can work as well. Um, can you give us a quick 30-second bullet point summary of what you discussed today? Transparency, be open, uh, and break down barriers. That's what I would say. I would, you know, get we we as strength and conditioning coaches, the more that we can bridge the gap with medical and with uh, particularly the the sports coaches, the better that we are going to be able to win games and improve the players holistically. Absolutely fantastic, Fergus Connolly. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So once again, a massive thanks to Fergus for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Coaches Academy. Now, at the moment, you can get seven days for free, and all you have to do is click the sign-up link in the show notes at the end of the podcast. So looking at the words today from Fergus about holistic training environments, it's only logical to conclude that you need a little bit of knowledge about everything. And the Coaches Academy can certainly offer that with seven areas of interest, including career development, injury prevention and rehab, performance, nutrition, mindset and health, and recovery and testing. So every single week, there's new and updated lectures in total from one to two hours. And those are broken down into bite-sized chunks to make sure that you can digest it all easily. So in just a few seconds time, all you need to do is click the link, get seven days for free and try it out. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Fergus for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next time.